0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Tuesday, the 9th of January, and my name is Helen Freer. Equities in Europe and the US finished in the green yesterday, and Asian stocks are up so far today. I'll be talking first of all this morning to John T. Warris about all the latest market news. And I'm also joined today by our head of research in Asia, Mark Matthews, and I'll be asking him for his thoughts on Asian markets, specifically India, China and Japan. But let's start with a roundup of the latest market news. Good morning, Jonti.
1: Good morning, Helen.
0: And let's start here in Europe, where we saw a number of economic data prints yesterday. Perhaps you could run us through the most important readings to start us off.
1: Yes, sure. So yesterday, Switzerland published its latest CPI data, which showed that the inflation rate remained unchanged in December. And year on year, Swiss consumer prices rose 1.7% in December, marking the seventh consecutive month in which inflation has stayed within the Swiss National Bank's target range of 0 to 2%. And this comes as the Swiss franc is approaching its multi-year highs versus many of its currency peers. The SMI had a good day yesterday, closing up 0.4% and is one of the few indices in Europe in positive territory so far this year.
0: Okay, and staying in Europe, we also saw some more positive news regarding investor sentiment in the eurozone. What can you tell us there?
1: We did, yeah. Yesterday we saw data out which showed that investor morale in the Eurozone improved for the third consecutive month in January to its highest level since May 2023. Uh, Centix's investor sentiment index for the Eurozone rose to minus 15.8 points in January, up one point from December, but was below expectations. So by and large, good news, Helen, but the poll did highlight Germany. Europe's largest economy as a pocket of particular weakness with a decline in sentiment among German investors.
0: Okay, now you've just mentioned Germany. I saw that German industrial production data has also just uh, come in this morning.
1: That's right, yes. Uh, Following on from yesterday's quite lacklustre data where German industrial orders rose less than expected in November amid weaker demand, this morning we saw German industrial production data which showed a monthly drop of 0.7% in November, which is more than analysts expected. This comes as Germany's ailing economy is experiencing a bumpy start to the year with farmers launching nationwide protests against government plans to cut diesel subsidies and train drivers planning several days of strikes over wage disputes. The German economy was the weakest among its large Eurozone peers last year as high energy costs, feeble orders and record high interest rates took their toll. And today's data really suggests that its economy, which remains in recession, Helen, is continuing to shrink further.
0: Okay, now tell me about the US. How did US stock markets fare yesterday?
1: Yes, well, stocks saw something of a reprieve from last week's sell-off in trading yesterday, as big tech stocks rallied following a number of product announcements from giants like Apple and Nvidia ahead of the CES Consumer Electronics Show tech event, which kicks off in Las Vegas today. The Nasdaq Composite gained 2.2% yesterday, which was its best day since November. Well, the S&P 500 gained 1.4% and the Dow Jones was up 0.6%. And it was NVIDIA that led gains among chipmakers, as it closed at a record high yesterday after it unveiled new AI chips designed for use in PCs. Meanwhile, Boeing's shares plunged a further 8% after the Federal Aviation Administration ordered US airlines to temporarily ground more than 170 of its Boeing 737 MAX 9 jets. In fixed income, yields continued to push lower yesterday with the yield on the 10-year now at 4.02 and the yield on the interest rate sensitive two-year at 4.37. The US dollar index was down 0.1% after gaining 1% last week. And it was the Japanese yen here that led gains versus the dollar. Gold finished down 0.8% but off its worst levels. Elsewhere, WTI crude settled down 4.1% more than a raising last week's gains. And Bitcoin futures were up 6.8% yesterday on news that a number of investment managers disclosed the fees that they plan to charge for their proposed spot Bitcoin ETFs, which suggests another step towards possible approval this week by the SEC.
0: Okay, uh, let's move over to Asia now. Do you have any news to report there?
1: Yes. Well, inflation will certainly be front and centre this week with CPIs out from the US and China later this week. But overnight, we did see inflation data out of Tokyo, a city so large that it's used as a proxy for all of Japan. Consumer price gains in Tokyo slowed for a second straight month in December in a sign that cost push price pressures continued to ease. Core CPI prices rose 2.1%, just shy of the Bank of Japan's 2% target, which will take some pressure off the central bank in terms of rushing into exiting its ultra-loose monetary policy at its next meeting on the 23rd of January.
0: And equity markets over in Asia are faring pretty well today, I see. Can you fill us in?
1: Yes, Asian stocks are indeed having a good run today. Japan's Nikkei was up 1.2% and closed at its highest level since March 1990. Australian and New Zealand markets closed up just shy of uh, 1%. And India's nifty 50 index is also back up around 0.9% after a correction of 1% yesterday. Meanwhile, mainland Chinese indices are around 0.2% up and having gained over 1% in trading earlier this morning, Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index has given up most of its gains and is also hovering around the 0.2% mark.
0: Okay, great. Thanks, Jonti. And of course, we have Mark Matthews, our Head of Research in Asia, coming up shortly. He'll give us some more colour on Asian markets. But before that, perhaps lastly, Jonti, what will be moving markets today?
1: Well, in terms of economic data, later this morning we'll see eurozone unemployment data for November, where expectations are for an unchanged rate of six and a half percent. And Poland's central bank will be making its latest interest rate announcement this afternoon, where expectations there are for a hold at the current rate of five and three quarters of percent. And the futures board shows that U.S. equities look set for a slightly negative open in the red later today. And that's about it from me for today, Helen.
0: Excellent. Thank
1: you very much, John
0: T, for the great roundup this morning. Thank you, Helen. Now, Mark, really good to have you on the podcast today. Good morning, firstly.
2: Thank you, Helen. Good morning to you.
0: So according to our market outlook for 2024, we are bullish on emerging market equities, excluding China. And within emerging markets, we particularly like India. That's actually where we have the highest conviction at the moment in the emerging market region. Why is that, Mark?
2: Helen, uh, let me just uh, preface what you said by saying we are bullish on emerging markets over the next 12 months, basically because rates are coming down and dollar's not going to get stronger, and they have lagged. But I can tell you from 30 unfortunate years of experience, because I built my career on these markets, that they're not good to invest in. (laughs) Uh, They returned, on average, 40% over the last 10 years in dollars, including dividends. Over the last 20 years, 280% over the last 30 years. They only returned 270%. So the reason I'm telling you that is that there will always be, you know, roses among the thorns. And India is that rose among the thorns because I'm pleased to say that over the last 10 years, it returned 160%. Over the last 20 years, 610%. Over the last 30 years, 920%. It's the only market in Asia, actually, that comes close to matching the S&P. So it's a good market. It has a good track record. And therefore, the Indians themselves like it. And in 2015, they introduced a retirement program where every month you put a little money in the market called the Systemic Investment Program, and that continues to gain traction among Indians, who are now the drivers of their own market, not foreign investors. And if the uh, per capita income goes from about $2,800 per year to $3,800 per year over the next five years, which Ernst and Young thinks it will, then I think more and more money will go into the market. Um, The other thing I'll just say about the people there is the demographics are very good. So their current population is 1.4 billion. It's going to peak at about 1.7 billion by the middle of this century. Uh, By contrast, China's uh, population, as we know, is, is going to go down and down. In fact, by the end of this century, it'll probably be smaller than the population of the United States. And so because of that, there's a lot of investment into India. For example, Apple announced they want to take their global manufacturing production, which in India now is only 5% of the total, up to 25%, because they can see the demand in that market.
0: Okay, so you've just touched on it there. India's looking good demographically. So in terms of the size of the working age population relative to the size of the dependent population, correct?
2: Absolutely. So uh, the key statistic is that the working age population surpassed the dependent age population in size in 2018. And demographers estimate that will remain the case until 2060. If you just think about it intuitively, when there are more people working, when there are more people creating GDP than people sort of taking from them, that's a very nice place to be. And if we look back in history at various other countries, when they sort of passed that Golden point Japan in the early 60s, uh, Korea in the mid 80s, um, China in the early 90s. Uh, the next 10 years were generally very good for those countries.
0: Okay. Um, now, I said at the beginning that we're bullish on emerging market equities, excluding China. Um, what are your latest thoughts on China, just quickly, their economy and the equity market?
2: Uh, with the economy, I think they are in a balance sheet recession to coin the phrase from the famous economist Richard Ku. And it basically means when people and companies have a lot of debt and they decide to pay it down. So they're using that money instead of spending it on, you know, investing in consumption, it slows the economy down. And that's what's happening. And in Japan, it happened when the bubble burst back in the early nineties, stock market and um, Property market. And it's exactly the same with China. Uh, Their stock market is 40% lower than it was in 2007. Uh, I don't know any Chinese people who view it as a place to invest. And now their residential property prices are going down too. And um, the official price is sort of about 15% down from the peak if you look at the the national uh, property price index. But what I'm hearing is if you really want to sell a place, um, you have to offer a discount, and the discounts are going at about 15%. And so that's a total of a 30% drop from the peak. And of course, for Chinese people, as people, uh, most people around the world, their primary asset is, is, is property. They feel less wealthy as that price goes down, and, and therefore they spend less on other things. Now, with the equity market, let me just say, That um, I think it's done so badly over the last four years. It's been down the Hang Seng index every single year over the past four years, which has never happened before, that um, at some point it really should bounce. The discount, the NAV discount of Hong Kong property companies is now 70%. It's never been this low. The price to book ratio of those companies is 0.4 times versus a long term average of 0.7. And we do note that the spread between the earnings yield of the stock market and the government bond yield is now 5.7%, which is unprecedentedly high. In the U.S., the earnings yield is 4%. The 10-year government bond yield is 4%, so it's zero. And in China, you have 5.7%. If you go back in the past and you see when uh, that spread was as high as it is today, actually, the market did tend to rally Uh, quite nicely over the next 12 months, but I wouldn't own China as a long-term investment.
0: Okay, um, let's move on to Japan now because we also see opportunities there. Everyone's talking about a reversal of monetary policy in Japan. Do you think we will finally see this this year?
2: Well, we do expect the Bank of Japan to raise rates in April and in September and in December and then again in June of next year. And that sounds like a lot, right? So you'd think the yen should go up if they're going to raise rates four times. But actually, even at the end of those four rate hikes, we still only see the Bank of Japan's policy rate at 0.3%. (laughs) <laughs> Which is, of course, meaningless. You know, it's it's basically zero, uh, tiny compared to everywhere else in the world. So, so there's still really no angle that you would want to own it. Uh, Apart from the fact that it's a currency that has fallen so much, Uh, we're looking for a dollar-yen rate of 140 by the end of this year, which is only about 2.5% higher than uh, where that uh, cross is trading right now. And I would point out, John, he mentioned the softening Tokyo inflation. Uh, Governor Ueda is actually a perma-dove, and he'll be looking for any excuse, I think, to to make uh, the policy adjustment as uh, mild as he can. Uh, And so I think the recent data coming out, like that December core inflation reading in Tokyo, is the ammunition that he needs to remain uh, pretty dovish.
0: Okay, and any policy changes would obviously have an impact on the yen, but what does it all mean for the Japanese equity market?
2: Well, the first thing is that uh, with a yen this cheap, it's an incredibly competitive and uh, that is very helpful to their economy because they export a lot. Uh, more importantly, though, for the stock market, I'll just rattle off a few statistics that I think are quite encouraging. Um, if you think things are changing in Japan, dividend payout ratio in the United States, 70 percent. Japan, it's 30 percent. Buybacks as a percent of market cap in the U.S., three and a half percent. Japan, 1.4 percent percent of listed companies trading under book value in The U.S., just 4% of listed companies trade below book value. In Japan, it's 50%. Uh, I could go on and on, but uh, basically, uh, in Japan, uh, now things are starting to change. And uh, I don't want to stigmatize, but they are a consensual culture. When something becomes a trend, people usually follow. And there is a trend of increased buybacks, increased payout ratios, um, companies uh, basically uh, divesting. Uh, for example, Toyota is selling off some of its major assets, uh, Denso and um Uh, KDDI. Uh, They're also buying back their shares. So I don't uh, precisely know how to explain what's happening. Uh, It might have something to do with a new generation or the fact they've got a big hostile neighbor right beside them. Uh, Their allies are all very far away, uh, but their allies are looking to diversify high-end supply chains, and and that includes into Japan. Japan Exchange putting big pressure on companies to reform. uh, Warren Buffett, buying stakes in companies. He rarely buys out at the side of the United States. And of course, uh, on top of all that, people trying to find alternatives to China. So, so you put it all together and I think it's still going to be a good market to invest in this year.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Thanks very much, Mark. Really good to hear your latest insights this morning. Thank you. And that is all for today. Thank you again to my guests this morning. And thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. And do join us again tomorrow when Bernadette Anderko will be your host and she'll be speaking to more of our colleagues about what is moving markets. Have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to wwwjuliusbearcom forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal
2: information.
1: Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.